Welcome to Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs, the podcast for busy and high-performing entrepreneurs and leaders who are looking to create more energy and optimize their health while upgrading their brain and personal performance with precision. I am your host, Julian Hayes II. I've been involved with health and performance for over a decade. This podcast was created for the high performer who is unapologetically ambitious, the one who moves at a fast pace and operates with an edge, the one who wants to become superhuman. Nothing here is fluff, gimmicky, or feel good. I have little to no interest in simply helping you improve your life. I want to help transform it. By listening to this podcast, expect to have a body that feels just as good as it looks. Expect to possess a swagger and style that gives off an infectious vibe. Expect to command the stage or any boardroom you walk into with your executive presence. And lastly, expect to become your most enhanced self so you can live a limitless life. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. I am your host, Julian Hayes II, where the mission is to marry science and business and give you an extra 60 years of optimal health, productivity, and impact in the world. And I am joined by a New York Giants fan, and he's a former (laughs) NFL athlete, and he's the current CEO of Workforce Software. And I'm here with none other than Mr. Mike Marini. How's it going, man? Hey, it's doing great, Julian. Thanks for having me. And I, and I love, um, we use that NFL moniker for me, but I, I, I mean, I maybe had a quarter of a cup of coffee in the NFL, but we gave it a go and it was good fun. And uh, even though I went to the Bills, I, I was raised a Giants fan. So I kind of have to be, my wife's partner is uh, Michael Strahan. So if I didn't have that, it'd be difficult uh, family dinners, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like how you claim that though, when you describe your NFL career. But, you know, I'm kind of the same way. So we were talking beforehand, I was in New York for a year. I was in medical school and then I left. So I, I played doctor for a little bit as well. And so I still take that claim as well. <laughs> well, you, your your playing was much more important than my playing. It, it was it was fun to get there and fun to give it a go, but I, I I was probably just a half a step too slow for that backside guard position. And, and back then, candidly, two hundred and ninety pounds was big, and today I'd probably be a fullback and certainly not quick enough for that. Oh wow, yeah, that is pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years ago, my man. Don't date me too bad. (laughs) I'll try not to. I'll try not to. Well, the good thing about here is that we don't really think about chronological age. It's all just about biological age and how you feel. Good. No, that's uh, true. So the first thing, let's go back to the past real real quick. And um, I love to ask this question to start it off. What were maybe two to three childhood lessons growing up that really shaped you into who you are today? Oh, I, I mean, you know, we had, my dad swung a hammer for a living and put five kids through college and three of them through graduate school. And we were probably the last family on the block to get moved from a black and white TV to a color TV, but we didn't know. So, so we, we knew we had a family, we had a great unity and we knew you had chores and we knew uh, we all worked for my dad in the summer, whether you liked it or not. So we got a great work ethic on, you know, work hard and the rewards will be there. We also got an ethic on put the family first. And, and in today's world, it was challenging for me to be honest with you in, in, in my, my first uh, go in the business world with all the travel and running around and how do you balance that? And I had kids very young. Um, so, so the value of keeping an eye on family, even when I didn't do it the best I could, it always came back to that. So, so that was a core one. Uh, and then the other one, and I've used this in some of the conversations I've had, it, it comes a lot back to my dad. He had a conversation, he had a comment, which was, listen, his line was, listen, boy, keep your eyes and your ears open and your mouth shut until you have enough information to make a decision. When you get enough information, be decisive, but also be humble enough to know that if new information comes in, you may have to change what you're doing. And for a guy that you know, went to trade school and ran a little small contracting business. Man, that, that's something that I've built my life and my career on. Uh, and, and it's paid dividends for me and my family, thanks to him. Yeah, it's amazing sometimes when you hear that advice as a, as a kid. I remember my dad telling me advice. And in the moment, you're like, oh, whatever. You, you just want to <laughs> rebel against it. But then maybe 20 years later, you're like, oh, man, dad was right. Dad was really yeah. right. 
and you start repeating those things that you thought you'd never say. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, you know, as I've gotten into my 50s, I find myself uh, repeating those to, to my son, who's in the technology software sales world as well. And, you know, he said, what do I got to do, do to be a good sales guy? And I said, you got to you got to listen first. Mm-hmm. Use your two years and listen. And if you listen, you'll understand what the, the customer is looking for and then you can react. So it's it's a, it's a valuable tool for all of us. And I think personally, if people would listen a little bit more compassionately to everything that's going on, elections, society, I, I think we'd be in a better better position as a society, quite frankly. Agreed, because they're all pretty similar. And a lot of times I think if we just take a little time to listen, we all want the same thing at the end of the day. You know, isn't that ironic? And, and the one thing that, that COVID has brought is in, in our world, it's brought a little bit more humanity into how we're dealing with people and how we're dealing, you know, uh, you know, we used to do these video calls and if a kid walked in a room or child, or if your dog barked, everybody would panic. And now today when it happens, it's kind of a normal certain, normally I'd have my little dog sitting on my lap here and, and if he barked, you know, and, and, and now it's okay. So, so I'm hopeful that as we get all this together and keep forging forward, some of that humanity comes back into business, our politics and our society so that my grandkids grow up in a world that's different than what we're dealing with today. Yeah. And um, let's see, um, let's start, let's look back, um, talk about your journey a little bit. So as a kid, did you know that you wanted to pursue sports? Yeah, I love sports. So I'm the youngest of five. It's almost like two families, right? I have three older brothers that are 10, 12, and 13 years older. And then I have a twin sister. My, my mom and dad finally got their girl and thank goodness she was older than me. And in an Italian family, they all kept an eye on the girls so I could go do what I wanted to do. So we had a good run of it. But, but I, it, my, you know, my oldest brother played at a uh, division three football at Trinity college. And I remember in, in Hartford and I remember going to watch him, my second oldest brother, I remember watching him in high school and then he had a bad head injury. So he couldn't play anymore. My third oldest brother was kind of a hippie. He went the rock and roll route, but, but I had those uh, figures. And then my dad was, was quite an athlete. Um, all the stuff we talked about and looked back when he was in high school. So it was just a natural of what we did. We had a an empty lot next door where we grew up, and it, it was the sport of the season. So baseball season, we played baseball, football, we played football, and then the winter, we played basketball until it got too cold and we went inside. And always was part of my life. I love the team. Well, I love golf and some individual things today. I love the team sports, and I, and I, and I think society – could learn a lot from team sports as well, right? You know, you got to rely on your brother next to you. You don't care if he's red, green, black, or yellow. You just want to know he's got your back when you're going to war against the competition. And you know, that's kind of how we were raised and how we grew up. So it was always an active part of our life. Exactly. I remember I had a lot of teammates where we, we probably wouldn't hang out. Yeah. But on the court, we were, we were tight. We can't get any tighter, right? That's yeah. the way. That's that's the blessings of team sports and that it truly teaches you to you have one common enemy right your mm-hmm. your opponent that day and if you don't you, particularly in football right you got 11 guys if one guy breaks down on the play the play fails the other 10 fail so you really got to know you got each other's back and everybody's pulling together yeah so how did you get into so i noticed you had 30 years of being in software how does an athlete nfl athlete <laughs> we're calling you nfl athlete how does he end Thank up in, how does he end up in software he gets lucky and goes to a good institution that has a great alumni following in the Westchester County, New York area. And when I, when I got done with the NFL and the USFL, uh, got, a, got a call from uh, an alumni who said, hey, would you be interested in interviewing at IBM? And I just said, heck yeah. This is the same alumni who came to watch me play high school basketball as part of the recruiting process. And uh, I got kicked out of the game because one guy took a cheap shot at our little point guard. So I went after him as a football player on the basketball court. And he didn't get to watch me play because it was in the first quarter, but we established a great relationship. And he, he had a brother-in-law at IBM that gave me a chance to interview. And, uh, you know, I was blessed that a guy named Ed Schroeder gave me a shot because I probably was not as qualified as many of the people that studied computer science and things like that in college, I did not. I was a liberal arts guy focused on geology, quite candidly. And um, they gave me a chance. And then that's where the work ethic that my dad taught me growing up and, and, uh, and, and the teamwork that sports taught me kind of kicked in. Because at IBM, back then, they had an amazing sales training program. It was a full year. You would go to Atlanta or to Dallas 
uh, to these month-long classes where you'd have to role play and learn and huge investment that companies don't do anymore today, right? And, and it taught me to go do it. And, and it's funny, I remember specifically it was New York City, I had a territory and it was August and I just got back from the subway ride to an account, sweaty and hot. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, guys in the office are like, I don't want to leave the office. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not in a ditch digging a foundation for my dad right now. There's no dirt under my nails, so I can deal with this. And it helped me. I had a great career at IBM. I had I won two back-to-back Eagle Awards, which are the top eight new business sales guys in, in New York, in uh, America. And, and then and then realized that that hardware curve was going down and the software curve was going up. And so I jumped to one of my software partners, partners and I've been in enterprise software, oh, probably since 1991. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So it, it all started to me, what I'm hearing that is that you just said yes to opportunity, yes to a chance, yes to uncertainty. And it seems the climate that we're in now, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're inside of a company, you're kind of having to do the same thing. And so how do you, do you notice like a lot of your um, teammates kind of struggle with that? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the society was way more stable then. Whether it was right or wrong back then, mm-hmm. it's not for me to decide, right? History will determine that. But but it was a stable, growing economy. People were functioning. Um, um, and, and so my idea of getting an opportunity to work for IBM was great. And it's interesting, when I decided to leave IBM after five years, I talked to my dad about it. He said, wait, IBM, you have a job for life. Why would you leave IBM, right? You know? And I told him it was because to make more money than my boss's boss's boss in this new opportunity. So, so I, I think that I think people have to feel comfortable taking some risks. They have to know and they have to have confidence in their ability to drive, but they have to make sure they take risks with people that they trust. And, and that's, that's an issue today And that a lot of these tech startups look good coming out of the gate. And I can't tell, I've got a couple of them where the stock is my wallpaper in my garage. It's not worth anything, right? So you are going to fail. So you've got to know that. And some of the younger folks struggle with that a little bit more. But if you take the risks and fail, you know, I've learned more from my failures than I have. Um, there are a lot of things out there today, particularly if you have tech interests or things like that. Um, so do your homework, get prepared, and be willing to take a chance. I mean, I the one thing about tech is you you do change jobs a fair amount if things don't work. And, and that's almost become acceptable. You've got to be able to tell the story on why. But it's not like... 20 years ago, where if you weren't with the same company for 10 years and you try to move, you weren't credible. Something was wrong. Now they understand that. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I know you've been uh, in the executive role for a number of years now. Yeah. And uh, I guess, what have you noticed the parallels between being an executive and also the athletics background? Yeah. Um, Communication is key. Assignments have to be clear, right? And accountability has to be clear. You have to recognize that, that if, if one of your teammates isn't pulling their weight, you as the executive may have to make a hard decision. You know, I had a, a guy, you know, um, in the early 2000s who was actually my mentor at, at uh, IBM who I hired to run a big piece of our sales division, and he just couldn't do it. And, you know, to have a conversation with someone who mentored you and who was your friend to say, we got to make a change. And, you know, in those situations, candidly, it's almost a sense of relief for them when they know they're not failing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still a hard, as, as I'm a big loyal guy, so, so um, big loyalty to my teammates and to my players, or maybe sometimes too much where I'm too loyal to people that aren't as loyal to me. But, but I think if you can stick with that kind of mantra and make sure people have clear roles on where they're going, make sure you collaborate, make sure you listen, um, I, I think that's all tied to team sports, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And you also have to understand there's one coach and, and we do have a, we have a little saying in here, we get in a conference room. I don't mind the disagreements and the arguments at all, but as soon as that door opens, we walk out and we're the, we're the Rockettes as an executive team. We all support it. You're going to win some and you're going to lose some, but mm-hmm. you got to have your teammates back as you go forward. And, and that's, I mean, that's the epitome of team sports, right? You don't got, you said it, you don't got a lot like the guy that's lining up next to you. You don't want to go break better than after work. That's fine. But during those 60 minutes that you're out there and during when you're at work or dealing with a customer, man, you've got to be united and have each other's back no matter what you feel. Yeah, and sticking with culture, when I was looking at workforce, um, some of the things, um, one big thing that stuck out to me was being listed in top 100 companies for uh, work-life balance. And then also, you know, 
you know, to, to brag on you a little bit, you're in a, you got a top 10% CEO score. So that's, that, that's no easy feat. And, um, so I'm wondering, uh, what are some of the things that that's kind of, that you, that's working for workforce that you think, um, would be beneficial for other companies as well? Well, I can tell you when I got here five years ago, the first six months, I probably had a bottom 10 CEO Mm -hmm. score, right? Because you're, you come into a founder led company where you had a lot of friends of the founder and people were in roles. And, you know, when, when the, private equity guys bought this and brought me in, they saw a real asset here that could go win the market. And we did too. I originally came in to help counsel them on a deal. And then they said to me, well, why don't you run this? And so you bring a team in and you go and, and, and you know, you have transparency uh, and with transparency, like I said, comes accountability. And some of the folks didn't want accountability, but, but what we've done, as long as you're consistent and I realized six months in the pushback was, they had a new initiative every 90 days and they kept jumping around, jumping around. And what we did is we laid out very clearly, here's our four key pillars. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on our customers. We're going to modernize how we build product, how we deliver product. And if we do this, there'll be opportunity for everybody to grow. And we've gone from 40 million in revenue to 125 million in revenue growing opportunity for people. There's now equity we give out to the people, which wasn't here when I got here. Very few had it, more have it. So we're trying to do the right things to continue to invest in them uh, and grow. And so again, it, it, it comes back to the whole be clear, drive it, engage the team uh, and move forward. And I think for us, what really elevated us towards the end is every year for the last five years, we've been consistent and people need that. They need to know if they're following marching orders, we're not going to just change the game. doesn't mean we don't transform, right? Cause we went from a on-prem marketing event company to a digital marketing company overnight when COVID hit, but our team responded because we came back and coolly said, look, this is a new strategy. Here's why we're going to do it. We don't know what the results are going to be, but let's measure them together and see where we keep going on this. So we got them engaged. We got them to buy in and go. And I think that's what all of our leaders have done here. I'm really, the senior leadership tier is collaborating with each other. They're engaging all levels of the business. We do a lot of level down. I do monthly level down talks with people. We provide mentoring program. We're trying to continue to nurture the people because particularly for tech, it's a competitive market. And if we don't do that, we're going to be in trouble. So kind of the focus, I think. Yeah. You mentioned during, during COVID of kind of pivoting and a a lot of companies are probably being forced to do that now. Um, What do you think are some of the keys or to give some advice out there to those who need to pivot and kind of get their team on board or the buy-in with a new strategy? Yeah, I think probably the, the skills that you need, you know, going into 2021 more than ever, probably four into probably fall into four categories, right? You got to be flexible and agile. Like I said, my dad's advice, the best laid plans, if the market changes, you have to change. So in order for people to embrace that and be willing to change, you got to keep being communicative with them and show them you're flexible as a leader and agile, keep the business moving forward. So I think if you do that, you're good. Collaboration is an absolute key. If you don't get buy-in and you're not collaborating across your pillars, you're toast. It's just not going to happen. One group's going to be an outlier. Like I said, one player out of 11 doesn't do the play, you fail. The third one is an interesting one that I've really become very conscious of the last probably 10 years, and that's the emotional intelligence piece of this business. It's not just about IQ. It's about using your ears and understanding what, not just what your customers are asking, what are your employees asking and being able to balance that emotional quotient versus your IQ so that you are empathetic in your engagement, so that you understand that there's things outside of work that, that need to happen that you have to be. And I think the last piece, the last of the, which is more important than ever, is what I've talked about all along, transparent. If your people don't know what's really going on, um, how do you expect them to embrace change and fight through with you? You know, in our business, you get these things called requests for proposals. You usually get them last minute. You got to do all this work and you got to work through the weekend to get it done. Right. And if your people don't see you running through walls with them and you're not transparent with them, how can you expect them to work through the weekend with you? Right. So we've been completely transparent on that stuff. What What do you think is a, um, a skill for CEOs in terms of um, let me rephrase this. I'm thinking. um I lost my thought for a minute. <laughs> so, um, so what have you noticed that's uh, underutilized skill that a lot of CEOs don't have? 
Wow, that's a good question. Well, empathy jumps to mind. I mean, I've dealt with some CEOs that, look, if I'm the first guy in, blue collar kid, I make the coffee. Um, I worked in a big company where my boss would travel with an entourage, an assistant, this person, that person. Felt like it was Hollywood. I don't need it. I go to the meeting by myself. So, so I think I think humility and empathy in a CEO. Sometimes the ego gets in the way of that, uh, and I think if if the CEOs can find that balance and really be true, and not be in a hierarchical environment. I manage very flat. We listen to everybody. Uh, you know, I, I think I think you got to do it. And I think the mantra that I put out there of be the CEO of your role couldn't be any more clear that we want you to make decisions. We want you to take risks, be informed risks. If you don't know, you don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I ask people all the time. I don't know what to do on this. What do you think? Um, and so I, I think if people take that approach and recognizing that they, they don't have to be the smartest guy or gal in the room all the time, I think you see your people respond in a very positive way. Yeah, that's the ego. And it it takes a while, I think, to yeah. kind of, because I think it's almost like you operate with a mask and you, you give yourself this expectation that you have to know all yeah. these things because you have X and X position. Oh, I know my, my, my actions today as a three or four time CEO versus my first time CEO are, are different. Uh, and, and I think the first time probably was a fear. Uh, and I probably accepted an opportunity that I shouldn't have because it, it, I should have shot higher. But I said, ah, first time CEO, let me just get one. And so, so you learn. And, and like I said, you got to be humble enough to know that as you learn more things and you engage better, you got to change your play, right? You got to have multiple plays in the playbook to go back to the football references, right? Depending on who you're dealing with, the situation you're dealing with, if you have the same cookie cutter approach, it's not going to work. So you got to, you got to listen and learn, you know, and move forward. And I think, you know, one of the things we encourage, and I think other CEOs, they got to take the initiative, not just on the business stuff, not just on strategy, not just managing the board, but take the initiative to understand their employee base and what concerns they have. You know, this whole idea of employee engagement is now more important than ever with people feeling vulnerable, people losing jobs, working remotely, not having that chemistry. So I, I think if you find leaders that'll be empathetic, supportive, take some initiative, um, do their homework, I, I think you'll find better effectiveness. Speaking of working remotely, how have you kept the communication lines still operating as best as possible right now? Yeah. It's crazy, right? Thank goodness for Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams, all the video things. So really what we've done is we've increased our cadence of communication. We've gone from, we used to have quarterly in-person meetings at headquarters and we would remote blast it everywhere. We now go twice a month via video and I sit in this room and I have a very candid conversation with our people. First one in, in April was we're shutting it down. I don't know when it's going to end, folks. Here's what we're doing to protect ourselves. We're not ready to make that decision. And then we just keep nurturing that along. So you do that, but then you have to find different ways to engage, right? So, you know, we, we've done uh, virtual happy hours. We've done um, uh, our executives. We started a story time thing where people working from home, worried about their parents, worried about their kids, young kids, freaking out, worried about their job. Once a week, we would read a story over Zoom so they could put their kids in front of the screen for 30 minutes and take a break and we would entertain them. And we're about to do Christmas stories uh, this Friday. We're gonna do the same thing. Amazingly how our employees responded to that. You know, as an ex-athlete and, and having the locker room joke in and things we always did, right? We had a good time, you know, after working hard. I bring humor into a lot of stuff. And so try to joke around with people and keep them engaged. And I was really encouraged that our UK team was pushing me to join this virtual happy hour. And I couldn't figure out why. And when I got on, all their backgrounds were my face on a $100 bill, me hugging the Statue of Liberty, my portrait above their fireplace picture. You know, and I was like, all right, we've gotten here. These guys who weren't sure about this, this, you know, Yankee uh, expat coming over there to help them. Uh, and, and they now that they feel like they can bust the CEO's chops, we're in a really good place. I love that. Mm -hmm. And so we try to use humor. I poke fun at myself. We engage our employees. And I have a little dog, Biggie Mo, who's my buddy. They all make fun of me because big man, little dog. And he now they all ask for him on the video. So we're trying to humanize it, right? Talked a little bit about COVID, maybe humanizing how we do things. Um, I, the biggest challenge for us, candidly, is 
we're still hiring. We've got, we're going to add 90 new heads next year because our business is growing. That's the, that's the thing I worry about the most is how do you, you know, how do you get those folks engaged in your culture and, and have them feeling good about the team they're joining remotely? And, and so I think we're figuring that out. It's just constant engagement and reinforcing, you know, we're now selling big deals over Zoom. Never going to the customer. We, I've never done that in my 30 years in this career. It's always been a lot of when you do the bigger deals, it's always a lot of get to know the people, pressing the flesh, doing that stuff, on-site visits. Nobody wants to see you now, and it's continuing to move along. So we've got to take that level of engagement that we've done with our prospective customers and make sure we work that into our new employees that we're adding so they feel like they're part of the team and get a, get a feel for our culture, albeit over a video call. How do you like that now? Um, speaking of travel, do you, do you like the new way of business or do you miss the, the face-to-face? I think, I'm, I think I'm mixed. I love not running through airports. I traveled 75, 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. Right? I live in Marina Del Rey, California, in New York City, and my company's headquartered in Michigan. So, and we got offices in the United Kingdom and Asia. I'm all over. I go, I go Europe one quarter, I go Asia the next. And, and so I have not traveled except one quick trip into New York for a charity thing in September um, in, in nine months. And um, I can tell you, I don't miss the business travel. Mm-hmm. I do miss the live interaction with people. My team, one thing this has afforded me, because I'm not running from airport to airport, is um, I have more time to think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my team may not appreciate that as I keep randomly spouting out, did you guys think of this? Or what about if we do that? But I think they've engaged in the right way. So, so I do think, I, I don't think we're going to go to a hundred percent remote, mm-hmm. but, but I do think people are learning that you don't need the giant office on Madison Avenue to be credible. And, and I, I thank goodness I'm not a commercial real estate leasing guy. Or gal, because man, I don't know how you. I think that you're going to see a paradigm shift there. So I, I think we'll find a balance. I'm hoping that I can travel maybe 50% instead of 75%. Um, but it's still important for me. I'm an outward focused CEO. I, I love the engagement with our customers and prospects and our employees because that's when I really get the understanding of what are we doing well and what are we not doing well. And if I don't know, we can't fix it. Or if I don't know what's going well, I can't accelerate it. Right. So mm-hmm. so you can get that over Zoom, but the personal touch just seems to be when you're out, you know, maybe having a glass of wine with a customer and breaking bread, they may be a little bit more um, forthcoming with you on things that you wish you did better so we can fix our position. And, and I do miss that. Yeah. Cause that, that, that's the thing I notice also with face to face is that it accelerates the, the trust that you can get. Whereas right. if digitally it takes a few times to really kind of feel comfortable with the person, but in person you, you can almost get that trust just over an hour or two of just talking. Yeah. Now, I think it's easier for people to say no over video this than if you travel to see them and they have to say no, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it's helpful on that a little bit, but it, but, but you really, you know, and I, 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 stre- I stress this even before COVID. Look, if we're going to do a call, get on video, mm-hmm. but let's see what people are thinking. I can see who's not paying it. It's not to see who's paying attention enough, but you can see who's engaged. And, and, and I spotted one of my execs who was struggling more than I knew on a, on a staff video call and I made a quick follow-up and we fixed it. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I do think there'll be a blend, but it, it is hard to make, uh, you know, I, we've made a great initial personal connection. You and I chatting before. I love the conversation. Love to see what that means sitting down and grabbing a burger with you or doing something right and see where it goes mm-hmm. from there. But, but you don't get to do that right now. Yeah. But I bet your, um, your, your, your chronological, uh, wait a minute, circadian rhythm is, is thanking you for, uh, being in one place for such a long time. Cause I'm sure you had some crazy jet lag going crazy from- jet lag and I, I've had a back issues. Mm-hmm. So I had L four, L five, L five S one fusion that went well, uh, and hard to travel with a bad back. So the non-travel has given me a break. And then I had, um, the, unfortunately the surgeon injected stem cells that were contaminated into me afterwards and almost killed me. And so it's given me recovery time to, to not have to do it. And it's given me the opportunity. I, I believe it or not, big guy, I do Pilates now. It's the best thing for your back. I bought a used reformer. We have someone that comes to the house three mornings a week. I can do it. So I, I really am feeling like I'm having an impact on this lower back that has caused me trouble for years. So really grateful for that and, and create a lifestyle. My wife is the CEO of a, her company. Um, 
you know, we would pass in the night sometimes, right? Because we're both running companies and we've spent more time together. And I'm proud to say she hasn't kicked me out yet. We're doing great and having a good time, but we spent more time together in the last nine months. We just had our fifth anniversary in our last nine months than we did before. And, and it, it's been great. I mean, I, I maybe better for me than her, but I, I really love it. And I, I think, you know, we spend, I think our dog's going to have the biggest problem when, when we start traveling for work and again, um, you know, not having, you know, mom and dad around bonding all the time. You know? Yeah. And I had this, this is one of these unproven things that I have no way to prove, but I'm just, you know, thinking that during this time, like some relation, a lot of relationships have gotten just so much stronger. And then some of the other ones, unfortunately, I'd be like, maybe I don't like this person as much as I thought I did because they're around you a lot more. Yeah, you find out really who you are when, when you are locked in. You can't that, I apologize. Um, you get locked in, you certainly do, and you get to know each other, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. We were joking the other night that um, I think there's going to be a lot more babies, a lot more people in rehab, and unfortunately, a lot more divorces when this thing is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to see the stats on that. But for those... Um, that had a positive uh, experience. Mine's been great. I mean, I, I, I haven't traveled in a long time. I'm blessed enough to be stuck at the beach here in, in Marina del Rey, California. So we could still take our walks outside together and, and do what we need to do, even in the craziest of times. But, but this is still scary, man. You know, yeah. I don't know how you're feeling about it. It's like, oh my goodness, is 2021 going to be the same thing? And we're kind of preparing for that, you know, business-wise, you know, just trying to stay smart, be conservative, stay close to our people to make sure that, you know, our hopes are with the vaccine and everything, we can bust out of this thing starting July 1. But, I, but I'm not 100% confident that the second half of 2021, we're going to go back to business as usual. Yeah, I guess if, I think things will open up probably the beginning of, of Q3. Yeah. And, but then I, I really think this is probably the more, this is probably the optim. I'm, I'm more of an optimist. So I think starting in 2022, I think you're going to get like a, I think things are going to start booming again. I hope so. I'm, I think, I'm like you. Yeah, I think that because if I look back in, you know, you had the roaring twenties, right? And so what came before the roaring twenties, you had, a, you had the first world war. Then you also had the original, you had the flu going on at the same time the Spanish yeah. flu at the same time. And so usually when you have these tough moments of depression and drought and all this stuff, usually it's, it's like a natural cycle of life that you can only be down so long before you come back up. Let's hope we're lucky enough to that happens. It's interesting. Yeah. My, my mother-in-law is 95 years old and she, she lives two, we have her out here two miles from us and she's been petrified of this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and until Thanksgiving, she had every meal alone since March. We would go by and we would drop stuff off for her from the farmer's market and she'd boom it up on her deck. You know, she's in an apartment building near us. So we'd go see her masks and rubble gloves, afraid to hug. And, and she said, look, I, I've lived through the Great Depression. I've lived through all this stuff and I don't ever remember feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And so for her sake, when you're 95, your runway is not that long. I hope, I'm just hoping that she's not going to spend the last five years of her life you know, living like this. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like you, I'm an optimist. I think, I think we're doing good things. I'm really encouraged to see the vaccine coming out and and hopefully we'll get our frontline workers and our elderly, the most vulnerable people. um, Some of the uh, less fortunate inner city areas that are being spiked again, we got to focus on the pockets that need it first. And I'm hopeful that we're doing the smart thing with that and it's going to have a positive impact, but everybody's you know, everybody's nervous about it. Do you take the vaccine? Do you don't take the vaccine? Um, And and I think, uh, that if we can get our frontline people protected and inner city people and also, um, you know, the vulnerable elderly, then we should, and we see the positive impact, then I'm with you. I think the second half of 2021 should be better mm-hmm. with the hope that January 1, 2022, we can all bust out and go back to, you know, engaging in a proper way at a restaurant or at a ballpark or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, and I think also, you know, now we ha- we're so connected with technology, the news, the social media. So no moment ever goes unnoticed, really. Yeah. And so I, I'm just thinking that I'm fairly certain generations ago, things were really dire. You know, I think at times you were worried about getting a bomb dropped on you during yeah. the Cold War. And, but we didn't have all these different news outlets. So I think to a certain extent, sometimes it's, everything's magnified just from the world we live in. So, I mean, for me, what's helped me is, um, 
kind of deep, kind of taking time away just to be alone and just kind of meditating and, and keeping track with my thoughts. Yeah. As long as you don't have those visitors in your head popping in too much with bad thoughts, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's, and that's what we work with the let vets a lot on when they get locked in and they can't communicate and they can't see people, you get back to those dark thoughts. And, and that's the whole mental, that, that's the new thing coming out of this that we all got to be aware of is mm-hmm. what's the mental impact. And we have to be very conscious with our employees and our family members to make sure we keep communicating and stay in touch and keep reading. And if we see something, encourage them to get the help of somebody to talk to, something like that. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear that and that you're already thinking about that because I've, I'm thinking about that as well with that some people will, will be quicker to start embracing people again, whereas there's going to be a certain subset of, of people who may not be as quick to start embracing people again. And it's going to take some time for them to warm up to be around people again. I think you're right. And I think we call it CFS here. I called it mm-hmm. CFS on one of our call COVID fatigue syndrome. Oh, nice. Where, you know, some of our folks are waking up more tired, including me. I've had days where I woke up more tired than when I went to bed because mm-hmm. it's the same routine and I'm going to the same chair to sit in, to do these Zooms and communicate with my people and do the things. And, 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 and I, think, I think it's going to hit everybody, no matter how strong you are or how focused you are, and how, you, how what good of a job you're doing in maintaining your physical balance with your mental balance and emotional balance. When this has gone on for nine, nobody expected in April 1 that this would be nine months, right? I got out of New York on March 12th, and then it hit on March 14th, and right? And I didn't think we'd be sitting here today in today's world with us being on lockdown and having another spike, right? I'm, you know, maybe I was naive. I said, well, this can't, you know, we prepared for it, but I, I never thought it would last that long. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's kind of a humbling experience for all of us, and I, and I hope what comes out of this is not just the better humanity, but also pu- people realizing the rug can be pulled out from under you at any minute for any reason. So appreciate what you got going on, family, work, friends, and the difficulties. If they're not life or death, then come on, let's be a little bit more reasonable and figure out how we find a happy medium on this thing. Right? Yes, exactly. And speaking of routines, I'm curious, how do you, what's like, what's your routine like now during this time? How do you keep yourself as sharp and healthy as you can? Yeah, you know, I, 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 um, my assistant has done a much better job of making sure I'm not booked every hour on the hour, all hours of the day. <laughs> because, I, because I run an East Coast company, global company, but headquarters is East Coast, my day starts early, 5, mm-hmm. 5.30. I'll do a couple calls, and then I usually have three mornings a week, the 7 a.m. Pilates uh, instructor comes in for an hour. Uh, and then I've been doing, you know, I've got a gym in my home, so I'm lucky about that. So I, you know, I've been, I've been doing meetings where I'm walking on the treadmill, you know, balancing that, been doing a bunch of reading, taking the downtime to read. Um, of course, we've done some binging uh, on Netflix, et cetera, to get caught up on some things just for a little nighttime decompression, right? So, and I cook. Um, my wife, um, well, she can boil water now, but she couldn't boil water when I met her. So, so we have a deal. She gets me VIP access to all the football games and all her connections from working in the NFL for 12 years. And I do a lot of cooking. So we did put a roof kitchen on our roof. And so we spent some time up there, you know, grilling out and making pizzas in a pizza oven. And, and I decompress that way, put some music on and, and try to do that. So it's getting back to my roots uh, and, and, and really trying to find the balance. You know, I, I've had the luxury with an East coast company and, you know, I can shut things down at three o'clock and go take a walk on the boardwalk by the beach, right. Clear my head and then come back and pick up the Asia calls at six or seven at night. And so, um, carving out that time to not just be stuck there, which if I was in the office, candidly, I didn't do a good job. I do some walking around to say hello to the people, but I didn't really block out that hour to either read a book of what I'm interested in and trending or take a walk or just, you know, I, I, with my back issues, I've got an inversion table, just put some music on and go invert for 15 minutes to take the pressure off. So I'm definitely having the opportunity to balance personal wellness, not just physical, but mental and engaging on some things like cooking, which I love to do, uh, which I haven't been able to do when you're traveling all the time. That sounds like a good deal to me. Um, that's a good trade-off. Yeah, that's, that's a good trade-off, you know. Um, but um, what do you like to cook? What's your what's one? What's two to three of your favorite dishes? Uh, chicken parm, man. I, I make a, my mom's chicken parm as an Italian kid in her kitchen. So, and we just had it a couple of nights ago. Chicken parm with a with a great rigatoni meat sauce. We've done. Uh, we do a lot of grilling. 
Um, so I cook up a lot of, you know, steaks or we've been doing a lot of fajitas and uh, tacos on the grill. And, you know, California, you got to get that stuff going with the tortillas. So um, but mostly Italian if I'm cooking in the kitchen and then a lot of balance of seafood and, and pork and beef and everything on the grill, just mixing things up. So That sounds good. I'm, I'm getting hungry now. Well, if you're out in LA, come on over, man. We, uh, we, we, you know, as long as you come and we stay socially distanced and you show up in a mask and yeah. we're good to go, right? We'll definitely do it. If you got seafood on the menu, I'm there. Oh, I can help you out there, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So as we wind this down, this is what I, I used to call it rapid fire, but it's okay. not really too rapid. And so I had to change it. So, okay. so uh, what's the meaning of success to you? Oh my goodness. The meaning of success to me right now is that my three grandkids are healthy and happy. Mm-hmm. What's the meaning of failure? Oh, my meaning of failure is I'm not the, the dad and the grandfather and the husband that I should be for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And what are two to three books that have had a major impact on your life? Oh my God. Crossing the Chasm from years and years ago. I don't know <laughs> if you remember that book. It's a marketing and sales book. Never but heard there's, there's too many. There's, there's another one. They're older ones. One is Hope is Not a Strategy which is a, when you're an early sales guy, you learn to do that. And the other ones, quite frankly, are the Dale Carnegie books on, on you know, how to make friends and influence people and all those classes. Mm-hmm. Those are dated. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, there's more mer- mer- modern ones. But, but those three set the foundation for me, uh, you know, as I, was, as I was building my career. And, and I, you know, I used to do, when I used to commute to New York City and take a train, I would do some more social reading with Ludlum and some of the mystery novels. And, but candidly, most of the reading I do today is about business. Yeah. Or reading the, you know, I still subscribe to the New York Post on my iPad so I can get that great sports section and see how my Giants, Yankees, Rangers, and Knicks are doing. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of those two books, so uh, th- those first two. So uh, I, I got some homework to do. Good. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, definitely will. And so uh, the next thing is, let's pretend you have a bottle of wine and you have a round table. And you have three more seats that can join you for um, a great conversation looking out at the Pacific Ocean, just talking about life and whatever. And who would these three people be from history? And it could be anyone. They can be dead or alive. But the only thing is it has to exclude family. So who's going to join yeah. you? Muhammad Ali. Okay. Abraham Lincoln. And John F. Kennedy Jr. Mm. Great leaders. Yeah. Great leaders. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, and Kennedy is more curiosity because he was killed around my time. And, 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 you know, he took a more human approach to what he was doing and, and don't know much about it as well. Lincoln, of course, because Lincoln is, is the man who, who set us forth, which should have been on a more proper path. And then Muhammad Ali is just a complete game changer. I, I think I love him more now than I may have as a kid. I may have been, do I, do I like his mouthiness versus Joe Frazier's grit and go? You know, I like them both. But now what I see, what a game changer he is on, on society and how he was right. And people should have listened more. I'm, I'm a huge fan. There's a company called Roots of Sight. Jesse Katz, they, they do um, a lot of, you know, hoodies and stuff. I'm a big hoodie guy right at the beach and cool. And they do, a, they have a Muhammad Ali line, which I'm in love with. And I, if, if the PR agency didn't tell me to dress up better, Mike, I probably would have had a Muhammad Ali hoodie on. Oh, you could have had it. You could have, you could have had it on. <laughs> <laughs> I had another one before yeah. you and they said, you may want to wear a golf shirt and a polo. Oh, okay. Because I'm a pretty casual guy, um, but but I think you know right off the top of my head those are three. I'm sure I could come up with a dozen mm-hmm. more. I'd, I'd love to speak, uh, you know, have at the table with me, including my dad who's gone, you, but no family, right? But uh, but um, but uh, yeah, I think that would be quite a cocktail together with those guys, because uh, mm-hmm. clearly game changers and thought leaders. And we talked about before willing to take a risk. I mean, all three of those guys took risks every day in what they were doing, and I think that's what made them great. And also those people, each one of them, they were, they had some kind of type of crisis. So those are actually kind of people to, to learn from, especially right now. Absolutely. And, and they, and they kept their cool in different ways. Yes. Ali with his, with his prose and his comments and his flashiness and, you know, Lincoln with a very steadfast approach to what he was doing, you know, and Kennedy had to deal with more nuances because it was more modern and outside influences. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's a balance to those three. We all, we all could learn from. And the next thing is who's in your musical starting five and they can be dead or alive as well. 
<laughs> this is where we have the debate at home because my wife managed Snoop Dogg for eight years and now manages Wiz Khalifa. So, uh, so I love Snoop, even though I'm an old white guy. You gotta <laughs> love the Snoop stuff. I, I really, I really love him. But my my mantra is more. I, I love um, you know some of the classic, uh, the Beatles. You know, I had an older brother during the sixties and seventies who was a hippie. And so I heard the Beatles all blue album, red album, white album. So they're they're They set the foundation. Um, uh, Van Morrison, total chill, hangout type stuff. Hootie and the Blowfish in terms of more modern stuff. Um, you know, I, I am all over the place. Darius now as a country singer, I like. So my, 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 uh, I'm pretty eclectic. I like all mixes and matches of music from hard, cool rock and roll um, to rap to everything in the middle. Uh, and so uh, I'm kind of a, a blended guy uh, with those folks probably taking the forefront. Nice, nice. And the last question is someone comes up to you and they tap you on the shoulder. And social distancing is a thing in the past. The world is, you know, we're, we're back to normal. We're not afraid of each other or we don't have to be. And someone says, Mike, what are three things that I can do today to become a superhuman executive? What would you tell them? Listen first, talk second. I think I'm consistent on that. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know, ask for help. And um, I think it goes back to my comments before is be the CEO of your role, take initiative, that kind mm -hmm. of approach. So awesome. I, you know, I, think, I think that's, if you can keep that as your foundation, then, uh, then I think, uh, I think you, you, uh, you gotta be humble enough to know you don't have the answers. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think if people could take that approach that puts them on a path to not only be a CEO, but also to build the team around them. You know, I define good leaders as people, when they come join you, they bring people with you, with them. I mean, like my chief revenue officer now has been on and off with me since 2001. My president of the Americas has been on and off with me since 2006. You know, these are people that we have a history with that are like-minded in their approach on how they treat people and treat our customers. And I, and I think if you do that, you'll, you'll build the influence, right? You don't always have everybody that you control that reports to you. That's where you have to build the influence network around that. And the way you do that is, is by listening, asking if you don't know, and taking the initiative of acting like the CEO of your role. Mm, I love that. That's a great way to end this conversation. Um, cool. Where can uh, where would you like listeners to keep up with you and and your um, and up what you're up to in the world? I noticed you uh, yeah. write sometimes. I noticed you had a recent Fast Company article. Yeah, we did Fast Company Nasdaq dot com. So you, you can follow us uh, at, at Workforce Software on Twitter, or I think I'm M Marini seventy seven, my old college number, on Twitter. Uh, we will be launching a Workforce Instagram uh, page as well. Got to get modern on on the social side with some of the things we're doing. Uh, and, and then um, you know, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, I do you know come out with some Monday mantras. We call it just some motivational every week and some thoughts and you know blending family and life. And, and take a look at us at WorkforceSoftware.com. It's a, it's a, it's a great company filled with great people, and uh, you know I'm really proud to be the leader of this group. I can tell you that much. It's uh, it's like family. Awesome to hear. And I will have all of this in the show notes as well, in case some of you are driving or running right now. So, um, <laughs> thank you again, Mike, for this was an awesome conversation. Yeah, Julian, I really enjoyed it, man. I, I look forward. Let's chat again sometime, and I, I wish you great success with what you're doing. Um, I listened to your uh, Aaron Houghton and Tony Horton. Th those are great sessions, man. Uh, and, and keep keep chugging and keep people keep um, keep giving good, new, different information to people out there. We need it. Thank you, and listeners out there, stay awesome, be limitless, and take it easy. Peace.